Well, before we jump here into this message, um, pray with me this morning. Let's pray and just ask God to speak to us. God, I am so thankful for this morning. I am so thankful to be in a place that we can worship you together. And I'm grateful for each and every person that you've brought into this school building that we've converted into a church today. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, that you would be here in your spirit, in your power, that you would move among us in, in a remarkable way, that you'd continue to do what you're so faithful to do, which is change us and transform us. You heal us, you comfort us, you love us, you build us up, you give us vision and hope and peace, and you're so good. And so, Lord, we are grateful that we can come and exalt the name of Jesus here today and that we can turn our hearts and our minds to focus on you. So meet us here, Lord. Speak to us. You've already met us in the time of prayer in the morning, the time of worship through music. And now, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we study your word, we pray that, uh, that you would do all that you want to do. So we thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, as I was, uh, you know, returning home from, from uh, in the airplane, as I just mentioned, you know, as we're coming into town and you're looking out the window and you see San Diego, you see the bay, and you see the, the Navy ships and the harbor and all those things, one of the things that reminded me of um, was the fact that San Diego is a Navy town. It's a Navy town, right? And many of you know that very well. <laughs> Many of you know that even better than some of the rest of us know that because many of you have experienced life on a boat, right? Life on a big boat um, and some small boats too, but you've experienced life on a boat. Many of you know what it's like to be deployed, to be underway, um, and it's a different way of living, especially, I was thinking about this on that flight in, especially for these sailors that come, many of them spending their whole lives landlocked before that, right? Our Navy is full of people from all over the country. So they could have grown up in Iowa, and the first time they ever see the ocean is as they're coming in to, you know, get trained and all of that, right? And so um, it's a different experience of learning all the skills needed to live and to work on a ship, Right? Sleeping in a tiny bunk. For some of you that have the PTSD of just living on a boat, you're gonna, I'm going to rub you wrong a little bit here for a minute. Right? But sleeping in a tiny bunk, calling a kitchen a galley and a bathroom a head. Right? Referring to port and starboard instead of left and right. Um, and then ladders. I hear that there's a lot of ladders. Ladders, ladders, ladders in these ships. Right? Getting used to the, the rolling of the boat and the salt in the air. Learning these different jobs that you have to do while you're there. Learning the cultural differences. That's one of the things that I was surprised to talk with some people in the Navy about. They're like, I didn't realize, I, I know our country's big, but you don't really realize how different it is to be from California versus New Hampshire, <laughs> right? It's a big country, and there's a lot of cultures that are mixed into our country. It's my point, though, in it is that it's an entirely new way to live. You're still the same person, but you're in a new environment with a new perspective as you, you come into this. And as we've been looking at the calls of Jesus in this series, because that's the series we're in, it's called When Jesus Calls, 
these different calls, we're learning how Jesus calls us to live differently, to experience life in a different way than we did before. We are the same people, we're on the same planet, but the way we view things and the way we do things is different. And Jesus called a group of people with very different backgrounds to be in his close group of 12. We call them the disciples or the apostles, right? We, we looked at that um, with me a couple of weeks ago when Jesus called these 12 and said, I want you to be with me, and I'm also going to give you some jobs to do. But he called them together, and, and many of them had very different backgrounds. Some of them were fishermen. We've talked about that. At least two of them had some serious anger management issues, right? Um, we, we, we saw that he called a tax collector, a political dissident who wanted to overthrow the government. Have you ever read that list? And you're like, why did they call Simon the zealot? That's what a zealot was. He was a person who wanted to overthrow the government. Right? So he's calling these fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and all these other people. Even one that would become a traitor and an informant. Right? Judas. He calls these 12. And he takes this mixed up group and he gave them all a call to ministry. A call to ministry. And that's what we're going to look at here today. But before I throw you off with just saying that word ministry, I want to give you a very simple definition of ministry. Because when you hear that and you hear, hey, there's a call to ministry on your life, it might kind of freak you out. You're like, you mean I have to like become a priest or a nun or a pastor? Like, what, what does this all mean? Okay. Well, ministry, when you talk about ministry in the Bible, it, it's really very simple. A simple definition of ministry is just serving others on behalf of Jesus. All right? That's simple. Nothing else, nothing more complicated than that. Ministry is just serving other people on Jesus' behalf. Okay? And when Jesus sent these guys out to do ministry, he was sending them to do things that none of them had ever done before. All right? This was new. This was a new way of living. This is like those sailors coming in for the first time and seeing the great big Pacific Ocean and then this boat that was supposed to become their house, right? It's a whole new way, a whole new thing. Now, they had the experience of watching Jesus do these things first, but to be sent out on your own doing ministry, like Jesus-level ministry, that had to be pretty intimidating, probably pretty scary, maybe a little bit overwhelming. But this is what Jesus had called them to do. They would have probably been a little uncertain of themselves, not sure if they could handle all that would come their way. Not unlike a first-time sailor. And in Mark 6, we see a few interesting details about the call to ministry with the disciples. So that's what I want us to look at here today. So in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7, we're going to read from verse 7 to 13. And here's what it says. It says, And he, that's Jesus, called the twelve... And began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick 
and healed them. Now, before we unpack this a little bit, I want to make four simple observations from this little passage. Okay, Four things I want to call your attention to. Number one, I want you to see there in verse 7 that they were sent together. All right. The first thing that we see here is that they were sent together. It tells us there in the passage he sent them out two by two. That meant that he had 12 disciples, so he sent out six groups of two. All right? They were sent together. Secondly, in that same verse, um, because if you've read this before, this is one of those little sections of Scripture like, I don't really understand all that's going on right here. Especially if you're new to the Bible. You're like, they're talking about unclean spirits, shaking off the dust of their feet. Like, what, what is all this stuff? Right? Okay? So they're sent together two by two, but they were also sent with spiritual power. All right? They were given authority in the spiritual realm, including the power to heal. All right? This is, this is different. This is new. But it says that's what happened there. So they were sent together. They were sent with spiritual power. Third, I want you to see that they were sent with God's provision. Did you notice what he said there? He says, look, you're going to go on this trip. You're going to take this journey, but don't take anything extra. Just take what you got and go. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say, you know, do this? Well, I think it's because it was to build humility in them, but also faith. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. And then the fourth observation that I want you to see, they're sent together, sent with spiritual power, sent with God's provision. The fourth thing was that they were sent to those that would receive them. Do you notice here that he says, look, I want you to go stay in a place, but if they don't receive you, then you do this whole shaking off of the dust thing that we'll talk about. But then you move on. Because who I'm sending you to are the people that will receive you. So don't waste your time in these places that you're going to go and you get rejected. Instead, I want you to keep on moving. Keep going. All right? So that's the fourth one. They were sent to those that would receive them. They were working with the Spirit and what the Spirit was doing among the people. And I think that those four observations serve as a great example for how we are to fulfill our call to ministry. Now, you might be like, wait, hold on. What happened here? That was like bait and switch. Because what are you talking about my call to ministry? I'm talking about all of you out here. Your call to ministry. You're like, hold on, wait. How did we make this jump? Here's the thing. When we answer the call to follow Jesus which when we started this series, that was the very first call that we looked at. The very first thing that Jesus did is he went and he called people, men and women, boys and girls, just like us, regular old people, he called them to follow him. Now, what you may not know and recognize, at least initially, is that when we answer the call to follow him, we are also answering a simultaneous call to ministry. Now, remember the definition of ministry. It's just serving other people on Jesus' behalf. All right? So don't let it blow your mind of, hold on, what's he calling me to? No, you're going to serve others on his behalf. It's part of the package. That is where Jesus is going. When you're following him, you're going someplace with him. And the thing is, Jesus is not standing still. He doesn't say, come and sit with me. He says, come and follow me because I've got a place that I'm going and I want you to come with me. And what he is doing is he is ministering. And so when we follow him, we minister. Did you know that every follower of Jesus 
is to be a minister. Every follower of Jesus, from the oldest to the youngest, to the most talented, to the biggest loser, okay? Everybody in between, every follower of Jesus is to be a minister. Now, we're not all called, I'm not saying we're all called to be leaders or have official roles in a church, all right? You don't have to have a reverend title before your name or become a pastor or, or anything like that. But we are all called to be ministers. There's a, a saying among church people that 10% of the church does 90% of the ministry. And in most cases, it's true. There's just a small group of people that do the bulk of the ministry of a church. But that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how he set things up. It shouldn't be true. He has different roles and different assignments for all of us, but he has a place for every single one of us. Every Christian is called to serve others in Jesus' name. All right, so let's now look at these four observations in the way that it illustrates it to us, all right? The first one was they were sent out together. They were sent out two by two. Well, guess what? We are sent together. And as we see here, he usually sends us out in groups. There with the 12, it was two by two. And why would he do that? There's great wisdom in Jesus, obviously, and the way that he did things. Why would he send people out together instead of sending them all out by themselves? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's better to celebrate victories with somebody else. Have you ever done something really great or experienced something really awesome and you're by yourself and there's nobody to share it with? It's kind of a bummer. It's kind of like, man, I wish, you know, I wish my wife was here to see this with me or hear this. Or, oh, I wish that I had some other people to enjoy this together with. But here I am all by myself. Wow, that's a beautiful sunset. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, it's still beautiful. You can still enjoy it. But it's better to celebrate victories with someone else. Guess what? It's also better to celebrate defeats. I shouldn't say celebrate defeats, but to mourn the defeats or deal with the defeats. Get over the defeats with somebody else. Right? Isn't it better to just have somebody else to kind of commiserate with and be like, man, that was hard. <laughs> it's helpful. So that's one of the ways to handle those defeats with somebody else. But not only that, we can lean on each other's strengths. You may not know this yet, but you're not perfect. You haven't got everything that there is to do everything right in the world. Some of you would argue with that. We can, you can see me later after church. But, but you're not. And it's great when you have someone else with you that compliments you. And, and they've got strengths where you have weaknesses. And there's things that you can rely on them for and lean on them for. Healthy Christians are team players. Okay? They're team players. We aren't called to be lone wolves. We're not solo artists. We are to be members of a body and parts of the church. He sends and equips us as a group. And the job of, of church leadership is to equip the Jesus followers for the ministry call that he has on every, ministry, every, every Christian's life. That's the job of the church. The job of the church is to help equip the saints of the church to go out and do that very thing. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to it. It's talking about God here, and it says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are all people that have a role in the church. 
All right? That's what they're to do. They have a role. But look what they're doing. It says it in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, I know when you hear that, a lot of people say, oh, well, that doesn't include me. If you know what goes on in my head, I'm no saint, right? But what does the Bible tell you? The Bible tells you, no, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given Jesus' righteousness, and therefore, you're a saint. And so, when it says it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, it's equipping you, you regular, ordinary people that God's transforming. It's to equip you for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus' model was to invite the disciples to be with him, to watch him, to do it with him, and then to send them out. That's what he was doing. And eventually, they would repeat the process and do the same thing with other people. And then they would do that. And then they would do that. And the cycle would continue all the way up 2,000 years later. Here we are as Jesus followers, ministering to, uh, to others in this way. And that's what we're trying to do here at South Point as a church. This is the same model that we're trying to do. We gather together on a Sunday morning as a church to worship God and to know him better, to study his word, to, to learn in that way. And then, as John talked about with life groups starting up, we connect. We connect with each other and build our relationship with, uh, relationships with God and with one another. And then we reach out. We reach out in ministry to love and to serve. Okay? And each one of you are invited to be a part of all of that. All of it. It's what God is doing in and through us. It's a call to ministry. I'll be unpacking some of that more in the next few weeks. If some of you are like, ooh, that's interesting. I want to think about that more. Well, we'll get there, but not today. I'm not going to get sidetracked. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. We're sent together. But secondly, just like the disciples, we are sent with power. We're sent with power. God calls us to minister, but he prepares us and empowers us to do it he's the one who's doing it Jesus told his disciples you may have heard this verse before um, when he was talking to the disciples he had told them some pretty radical things he told them ahead of time he said I'm going to be crucified but I'm also going to rise again and in fact when you go through the gospels you see Jesus told them that multiple times and they still never really understood it and even when it actually happened they were still a little confused all right, but another thing that Jesus told his disciples before all that happened, he said, and by the way, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. And why did he say that? He said, because if I go away, me in the flesh here on earth, if I go away, I'm going to send my spirit to flood the earth. I'm not going to be contained to be one human being, fully God but fully man in one place at one time. Instead, I'm going to send my spirit over the entire world. In Acts 1.8, he says this specifically to them. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to give you a ministry to do, but I'm going to send my spirit for you to do it. And that same spirit that empowered these disciples empowers us today. 
That should blow your mind. That's amazing. The same Spirit of God that empowered those disciples to minister is the same Spirit that is to be empowering us. In order for true spiritual work to be done, it requires true spiritual power. I've said that many times. I'll continue to say that in my life. (laughs) True spiritual work requires true spiritual power, and God is the source of that power. Now, I do want to say this, because um, I don't know all the backgrounds uh, of each one of you. I don't know all of your history and everything that you've been around, but I do know that, and I've experienced myself, um, sometimes when you start hearing pastors talk about power, you're a little slow on it. You're a little, a little gun shy, maybe. A little hesitant because you're like, oh boy, I've heard this one before and I know what happens next. Things get really wild and all this happens and I've heard all these people do all these different things. And so a word of caution. Like any power, just like any power, spiritual power can be abused. It can. Like I said, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And, and so sometimes things are done in the name of God or in the power of God that get way sideways and, and way wild. Um, it's nothing new. We see it in Scripture. In the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 19, there's a really interesting story. I won't have you turn over there this morning. I'll just give you a, a, an overview. But basically what was going on was, especially during the time of Jesus in the first century, there was a lot of radical um, demonic, spiritual craziness that would happen. I mean, if you wonder why you read through the Gospels, and it's like they're always casting out demons. There's all these demons happening. All it, it was intense, okay, in, in this era. And there's a story in Acts chapter 19 where there's these, these Jewish exorcists, okay? This isn't a, a horror movie film that we're talking about, but these guys are exorcists, meaning they're going around as their job casting out demons, But what happened was, it tells us that there's these seven sons of this priest named Sceva. And these seven sons have this job going around casting demons out of all these people that have demons. Alright, but here's what happened. In order to do their job pretty well, they heard about this Jesus guy. They may have even been around to see his teaching and his preaching and the power that he had. And he's like, they're like, this is amazing. This works really well. And then they see his followers, his disciples, even on to um, the, the apostle Paul, who would come later, doing the very same thing, having power over these demons and, and casting out all these demons. And so they're like, hey, that's the way to do it. Like, if we want to be good at this job, let's just do it this way. What we'll do is we'll show up when they call us in to, because there's a demon-possessed person. And what we'll do is we'll just say, in the name of Jesus, the one who Paul talks about, be cast out. But guess what? It worked. So they've continued to do that. And they're like, this is amazing. All we do is we say the magic words in the name of Jesus, the one who Paul preaches, and boom, the demons run off. This is amazing. Well, one day, though, they come across the demon that's a little sharper than the other ones. <laughs> Enough where that demon responds back, they're like, hold on, hold on. This demon possessing this human being speaks back to them and says, now, Jesus, I definitely know. And Paul I even recognize that guy. But who are you? And what it tells us there in the scripture is that then this demon-possessed man with a supernatural power of evil overwhelms these seven guys and the Bible says, kicks their butts. It doesn't say it in that phrase. But that's what he does and sends them out naked and bloody. All right? 
They were trying to use power that wasn't their power to be using in a way that it wasn't meant to be used. And it came back and bit them. That sort of thing happens. Think about this. Guess who is in that list of the 12 that Jesus sent out to cast out demons and heal the sick? Judas. Have you ever wondered about that? Judas, the guy who's going to betray Jesus, he's going out. And I don't see any biblical reason to think that Judas, who would betray Jesus, didn't perform healings and cast out demons. That kind of blows your mind a little bit. How is that guy supposed to have the spiritual power of God? Well, Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, here's what Jesus said. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many, I hate that it says this, but it does. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Okay, that takes some spiritual power. Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now God uses imperfect people for his perfect work all the time. But sadly, sometimes people misuse and abuse the power of God that they've been entrusted with. It's wrong, and they will be held accountable for it. But don't let that cause you to reject or ignore the power of God that he gives us for his work. It is essential. So how do we get that power? How are we to be sent with that power? What's it feel like? Well, Jesus tells us. He says we ask and receive it in faith. In Luke 11, he said, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. What is it that they're receiving? What is it that they're asking for and knocking for? Listen, he'll tell you. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give uh, of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's what we're to ask for. And that is where this power comes from. It's from Him. All right. Then, so we've seen that we um, are sent together, that we are sent with power, but we are also sent with God's provision. Now I'm going to tell you, this is actually one of the hardest ones for me when I look at this. Um, and it's hard for me because I want my agenda and my results on my timetable. And I'm not all that. Yeah, I am. I'm pretty selfish. But you are too, right? You want this also. You want it your way. And, and that's, that's how we are as people. But we have to trust God for the resources and use what he provides in his timing. Jesus called them as they were. And he sent them out with what they already had. And that's part of what this first sending out was about. He wanted to teach them some things about who he is and who they were. That's why he says to them uh, this list. It's kind of weird, right? He says, look, just take your staff. You know, some of you guys don't walk so well. You need the extra balance. Take that. But other than that, 
Don't take extra bread. Don't take a backpack full of supplies. Don't even wear two shirts in case one gets dirty and you want to trade it out. No, just take what you got and go. Because I'm going to provide. The Father is going to lead you and take care of you. And he's going to give you what it is that you actually need. And if we aren't careful, what happens is we can stall God's plan for us with all kinds of selfish excuses. We can come up with all sorts of reasons why we're not ready to answer the call to ministry. We can think up all sorts of stuff. We can say, well, God, I'm not quite prepared yet. You're calling me to minister, but that pastor, Brett, he takes too long to go through the books of the Bible. So I haven't read it yet. I don't know the whole thing. It's just, it's, there's more that needs to happen. Give me a few years. I mean, with that guy, five years. I don't know. It's going to be a while. Then I'll learn the Bible. Then I'll be ready to minister. Or, God, you don't understand. I've got this financial issue that's hanging over my head. I need to sort this stuff out first. And then I'll consider, you know, giving to you and your work and spending my money and time in other places. But now this is the big thing. Or, or, or God, I'm not that smart. I don't talk real good. So find somebody else that's got the talent that you need. Then they can minister. I'm not the one to do that. We come up with all these excuses. But you know what? That's what we see over and over in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, when he experienced God in a powerful way, you know what he said when he saw the power of God? He's like, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with a a world that's unclean. I'm a mess. I shouldn't be standing here in your presence, God. But what does God say? He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to take care of you. And he does this radical thing where he takes a coal from the altar and makes him clean and all this. But then what does he say? Then God says, who am I going to use to send out here? And Isaiah's response at that time, when he understands what God has done, his his response at that point is, here I am, send me. Let me go. Moses, you probably all know that story of Moses hearing God speak to him in the burning bush. And God saying to him, Moses, I'm going to send you to bring my people out of captivity in Egypt. And what's Moses, the first thing out of Moses' mouth? It's an excuse. I don't, I don't speak very well. This isn't going to work, God. You got the wrong guy. I'm out here in the desert by myself for a reason. But no, no. God says, I'll go with you. God knows all your limitations. He's not dependent on what you don't have. He will provide. And I will say this, this isn't the only way that God sent people out. Later, he'd actually tell them to bring extra supplies um, for what was ahead. But the lesson here is to listen carefully to his instructions and follow them either way. God will provide. Matthew 6, 8 says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, when we were on vacation, I don't know if only pastors do this, but I do this. When we go on vacation and I'm gone for a Sunday, I, lo- I go to church, okay? And I'm not trying to say that to seem holy to you or put a guilt trip on you, but I like to go to churches. And part of that is I want to see what's going on in other churches. I want to see what it feels like and what it sounds like and what's happening and all this. So anyway, um, my family and I last week, we went to this church, um, a church that I, I really enjoy um, there in, in Franklin, Tennessee, and actually um, we went with a family that has been part of our, the Palpsini family, many of you know, been here for years with us that moved out there, um, that's where they go to church, and we met them and went to church with them last Sunday, and, and um, it's this huge building, all right, I mean, huge building, uh, amazing musicians and production team, and tons of people packed 
people, thousands upon thousands of people. But here's the thing. That's all good, and that's all fine, and that's all great. But the thing I like about the church isn't that it has all that stuff. The thing I like about this church is the life and vibrancy that is happening in the church. And that can only be provided by God. That is the part that matters. It's the Spirit of God, whether it's the big church, the little church, the in-between, none of that part matters. But it's, the, it's what God provides in life. Later in Mark 6, we see Jesus taking five loaves of bread and two fish and feeding 5,000 plus people with it. Right? He can take the smallest amounts of things and use them for his glory. We want to rely on him for his provision. Okay, the last thing here. The last one is that just like the disciples, we are sent to those that will listen. I know that that feels a little harsh when you see that. When you read that, you're like, wait a minute. I thought we're sent to the whole world. For God so loved the world. Absolutely true. And does God want all to come to him? Yes, he does. The Bible specifically says God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires that all would repent and come to him, that none would perish. But when we're sent to minister and we're sent to do the ministry of Jesus, we're sent to those that will listen. And here's the thing. I know all of us have a list of people that we would love to see come to Jesus, right? Have their lives transformed and experience what we've experienced to have the comfort and healing and joy that comes from walking with God. We, have, we all have those lists of people. I could give God a list of 100 names in a pretty short time, right? But our role is to share the good news and let him do the saving, okay? You may not know this, but you can't save anybody. God is the one who does the saving. Our role is to share the good news. Not everyone will listen, but don't be discouraged. God is still calling you to minister. Now, one of the ways that I've described this before, so some of you have heard this, this before, but some of you haven't, is one of the ways that I try to visualize it is, I, I tell you, you look for ripe apples, okay? Now, you could approach, we could all drive out to Julian. I think they still got a few apple orchards out there. We could drive out to Julian uh, during apple picking season, and we could walk down the rows of these apple trees, and we could look at the tree, right? And you see the tree, and you're like, this is awesome. There's a bunch of apples on it. And you can go through, and if, if, you, if you want to have apples that you're going to enjoy eating, it's best that you pick the ones that are ripe. Otherwise, you're going to get some sour apples, okay? But you pick, you pick what's ripe. You pick what's there. That's what God's calling us to do when he's calling us to minister to others. He says, go out there and look for the ripe apples. Those are the ones that I've been preparing. Those are the ones that I have done things in their heart already. Those are the ones that I'm calling toward myself right now. Some of these other apples, they're not ripe yet. Don't spend your time on it. It's not worth putting it in the basket. All right, It's not going to work out. Don't worry about that. Look for the ripe apples and let God figure out the whole ripening process. Now, that's really hard for us because there's certain people that we really want to be ripe. <laughs> Some of you may have family members or close friends or things like, I want that person to be saved. But it's not their time yet. God hasn't called them yet. And instead of putting all your effort into this one person that is rejecting it and rejecting you, instead, look for the ripe apples. Jesus said in John 4, 35, he said, look, 
I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. When grain would grow, after it had gone through its entire maturation process, at the very top, it, it, it actually turns kind of whitish. Right? It's brown, and then it, it turns white. And then you look out across the field, and you can see, whoa, that field is, is white. It's got the, the white tips on the end of the grain. It's time we need to harvest that stuff. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, there is a harvest out there. And the, the fields are ripe with harvest. They're ready. They've got these red apples. It's, it's ready to happen. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. You guys talked about that last week, right? The call to fruitfulness. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. We're to come and do our part, the parts that are ready to be received. But one of the things that slows us down in answering this call to ministry is the expectations that we place on ourselves. We just don't want to fail. Does anybody here today like to fail? Like, I, I live for that. Every morning, I just wake up and think of, how can I blow it today? Now, sometimes it feels like at the end of the day, that's what happened all day. <laughs> but nobody likes to fail. I share that with you. We don't want that. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of embarrassment. We're inf- afraid of failure. Here's what I'm telling you, especially when it comes to ministry. Get over it. You just got to get over it. Because there's going to be times where you're trying to answer this call to ministry. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to follow the Lord. And it doesn't work out. Get over it. It's all part of it. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, look, they hate me. He's Jesus. What did he ever do wrong? Nothing. Perfect every way. And they hated him for it. Like, if they reject me, of course they're going to reject you. If they hate me, yeah, they're going to hate you. It's not always going to be success. And that's why Jesus gives his disciples these instructions about shaking the dust off their feet. Right? What was it? It was symbolic. He's saying, look, what happens is you go there, you stay there, you're waiting for God's provision, you share the good news of the gospel, you minister to these people. When these people tell you, hey, we're not interested in that, we don't want that, in fact, we don't even want you in our town, no problem. Don't argue with them and, and, and stick your you know, heels in and really try to make it happen. No, what's he saying? He says, all right, shake off the dust of your feet, you guys keep it all, I'm out of here. And move on and go forward. That's what he was calling them to here. There were, would be times where the people would not receive them and not listen to them. Shake it off and move forward. You might be the one who's ministering as a sower, planting the seed of the good news in somebody else's life. Someone else might be the one who gets to see that fruit from the seed. But minister anyway. You've been sent to do that. When we answer the call to ministry, even when it doesn't seem to go the way we hoped, the other good part of it is we're still filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things that we can trust in. Even though there's that fear of failure, still realize when you're being faithful to God and you're serving the way God's calling you to, there's going to be joy in this life from it. All right? I've experienced both in ministry. The ups and the downs and the, all that stuff. But all through it, no matter if it's in a good time or a bad time, there's still joy in, in following God and doing what he calls us to do. 
And as I finish here, um, I do want to say just a, a quick thing about seasons of ministry. All right? Because when you hear a message like this and you think, okay, Jesus is calling me to minister. I'm a minister like every other Christian. I'm supposed to be ministering. I'm supposed to be serving. Here's what I need you to also know. There are seasons of ministry and not every season is the same. There are different times for different purposes. There may be times when the role that God has for you may not seem like it's having a great impact for the kingdom. You might not be going around casting out demons this week, okay? You might just be packing a trailer or setting up chairs. You may be in a season where your ministry is at home with your family. Uh, Maybe you're caring for young children or an elderly parent. That may be the ministry that God's calling you to right now. What I want us to develop is not this guilt trip of, man, I guess there's going to be like a sign-up for the ministry list out back after service. That's not happening, guys. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not saying, we need more help. You guys need to get to work. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm trying to develop are hearts and eyes that are aware of what God is calling us to and obedience to follow that call. None of the disciples opted out of the ministry that Jesus called them to. Because ministry isn't optional. It's part of being a Christian. He calls every Christian to serve. And there is a place for you to serve. Every member matters. We are all a part of the body of Christ. And so as we finish this morning, that's the question that I leave with you, is will you answer the call to ministry? Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. You are so good to us and that you show us the way to go in this life. And sometimes this life feels very confusing, very overwhelming, very difficult, and it's hard for us to figure out what to do and how to do it. But you have shown us a new way of life. And you've done it through the life of Jesus And through his words. And so today, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here who follow you, I pray, God, that they would hear your call to ministry. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them insight and understanding and direction specifically toward what you are calling them to be doing. And yes, maybe that does mean that they need to begin serving at church. But maybe that has nothing to do with serving at church. Maybe you're calling them to minister to a family member, a co-worker, a classmate. Maybe you're calling them to serve others in the name of Jesus in their neighborhood. I don't know what it is, but you do, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would give us all a sensitivity to what you're calling us to and that you would allow us to have hearts that would respond in obedience to the call that you have on our lives. I pray, God, that you would empower us by your spirit to do what you've called us to do. I pray that you would remind us that we are sent together, that we have others um, that are doing this together with, living life in this way with. And I pray, God, that all the ministry that we do would serve to bring you honor and glory. You are the one that we want to see exalted in this community, in this neighborhood, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work. 
wherever you send us to minister, Lord, allow us to have that vision, that mission that you have uh, assigned to every one of us. And God, may we see the fruit of all of that in, in beautiful ways. And Lord, I also, this morning, just want to pray for any of those here today that may not already follow you. And if that's the case, Lord, I pray that right now you would draw near to them. Maybe they just came with uh, a friend who invited them to church or family member, and they don't even understand all this Jesus stuff that we're talking about. But today, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, that you would now begin to touch their hearts, touch their spirit, allow them to recognize you, maybe for the very first time. Or maybe it's something that they haven't seen or felt in a very long time, but now they're in your presence again. And Lord, as your presence is here in your spirit among us, Lord, I pray that you would minister to them. And that you, Lord, would put that call to follow on their lives and allow them to respond in a way that would come to, to, to put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would just do that in a powerful, remarkable way as we as a church have seen that happen this week and we rejoice in it. And we, we pray that you would do more and more of that among us, Lord. We believe that the, the harvest is ripe, that the, the fruit is there, Lord, and we want to go to those that were sent, that those would, who would listen, and Lord, that we would just overflow with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We pray, Lord, now as we begin to just respond and, and worship and prayer. We pray, God, that you would be among us, you'd minister to us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.